0: Just because this is the first episode of this, we don't have like an introduction on who are she and I are, which are the co-hosts, I guess. Yep. Um. So I have a, a YouTube channel, hence I'm wearing the hat that has a YouTube logo on it. Um, Greg Hogg is my name. Unless you care about data science, then you wouldn't want to watch it. But Marty knows this this stuff probably better than I do. So this episode is going to be largely about that as well.
1: Absolutely. We can't wait.
0: Who the heck are you, Arsh? <laughs>
1: I am uh, a University of Waterloo graduate. I went to school with both Marty and Greg, um, and currently I am working in the data world. And I graduated in April.
0: Are you an analyst, engineer, scientist, or something else?
1: One of the above.
0: One of the above. Okay, she's an unknown data professional. <laughs> okay. One <of> the above. <laughs> yeah. uh, Marty, who are you?
2: Hi, I'm Marty. I'm currently. Here. Doing my PhD in the University of Waterloo in the Department of Applied Mathematics, and well, I've known Greg and Arshia for five years. We are very old friends. I've known them when back when they were non data scientists. <laughs>
0: back when they were losers. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. Actually, um, Marty was one of the few people I talked to uh, before university even started, and we kind of became friends even. Even before we met, which is really cool. So,
1: before I moved to Canada.
0: Yeah, before. Right, so, uh, and
1: we'll get more into that.
0: Yeah, right away. So, Marty, where where were you?
2: Oh, well, believe it or not, I was born in Japan, in Tokyo, and lived there for 18 years. I did my high school there, and then applied to Waterloo for my undergrad. So, I've been in here in Waterloo for five years by now.
1: That's amazing. So what was um, what made you first want to choose Canada and, I guess, Waterloo in specific, um, where, all the way from, from Japan? Well,
2: first of all, I wanted, like, I knew for a while that I wanted to study math at university. Because math was the only subject which I did not suck at. Me
1: too. <laughs> and
2: I did the not to do math in Japanese, which is why I looked for places outside Japan. Then I finally picked Canada. So I applied to Waterloo and Toronto and got into both. Then I picked Waterloo because its math program has a higher reputation.
1: Yep. Yep. Yeah, fantastic. And I mean, I'm glad you chose uh, Waterloo. Otherwise I wouldn't have known you. We wouldn't have known you. So that's fantastic. That's true. Yeah so tell us more about um life in japan so i i know nothing um nothing about you know kind of the school system in japan what it was like growing up there um anything that you'd like to share
2: well, a, i would say japan's a great spot for tourism certainly like it's quite te- te- technologically advanced and yeah. there are many attractions. like i grew up in tokyo and there's so much to explore there it's mm-hmm. a beautiful city
1: Fantastic, yeah. And um what was it like doing uh your school like throughout so you said you've been, you know, in Japan for all your life. So what was it like um through primary, high school, what was that like? I'll focus
2: more on the, the math part because that's what I know the best. I'd say Japanese high school math definitely goes uh well beyond what Canadian high school math.
1: Mm. Yeah
2: came to what we're already knowing how to integrate as well as like advanced concepts in stats such as uh, hypothesis testing
1: wow okay that's fantastic um sure. yeah we surely didn't learn that here in canada um definitely not the not the stats part of it so i personally was very new to it
0: that's funny you say that because for me i was um we didn't learn the integrals part but we did learn the hypothesis testing part and you just said something the opposite of that as well so
1: yes i i learned integrals but i didn't learn the hypothesis testing
0: huh okay now i would have thought it was really standardized but it seems like everyone's learning something else
1: yeah yeah that's actually interesting um, most
0: schools
2: in japan don't have computer science in high school oh okay right things like Becoming more and more of a basic skill these days.
1: Absolutely, one hundred percent. I came to
2: Waterloo knowing zero programming.
1: Yeah,
2: so in first year, I just take a, a required CS course on the C language, and I almost failed it.
0: <laughs> I think the I got it. I'm pretty 10%. sure I got a sixty-two in that course. What course
1: was that? <laughs> what course was that?
2: The C programming course.
0: Like I, it's called
1: okay I may or may not have taken that
0: it'd be 136 I right? think I took that yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Um,
2: I would not imagine that at that point that present day Marty basically breathes Pytorch and Python
1: absolutely and and we'd we'd love to get into get into that um.
0: actually yeah on um, on my own channel the next video I'll produce is actually about which is better, PyTorch or TensorFlow. It's just like a 30-second a short on talking about the history because it was like uh, TensorFlow came out came out first, but then when PyTorch came out, people were like, wow, TensorFlow sucks to code in. I'm going to use Facebook's. <laughs> 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 yeah. And then they made it easier to code in, and now they're both good, but you stuck with the Facebook one because, I don't know. Because th- meta. Sure, probably not. You think it's better?
2: I think it's better. Like, okay. I find PyTorch way more easy for my area of research, which is reinforcement learning.
0: Oh, okay, okay. I actually haven't done it with um. I haven't done any deep learning, reinforcement learning stuff. I've only done like the really like, I mean, even like in like the really like theory theoretical books like that. Even the first like six chapters are like tremendously like new new concepts so like to get to deep learning it's like a long journey i feel but it's definitely worth it
2: it took me like a year to understand it
0: yeah
1: (laughs) yeah fantastic so okay so tell us more so what did you do in your undergrad
2: my undergrad i studied applied math with a minor in statistics
1: applied math
0: i'm raising my hand okay at Waterloo, how applied do you feel the applied math is? Mm, ooh. <laughs>
2: <laughs> but applied would mean applied to physics and engineering, so not so
1: much. <laughs>
0: yeah, and I mean,
2: not in real life. It's it's mostly a co- like a program on differential equations,
1: right?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think that was one of the the few courses for me where they actually talked about applications. Like I'm the the Intro to Differential Equations course, it's basically all just like physics examples, whereas most math stuff, it's like completely theory. So I thought yeah. it felt fairly applied.
1: <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. So, okay, so that's, uh, that's wonderful. And um, so Greg and I, we took co-op through throughout undergrad. Um, I know you did as well. Would you like to talk about um, what the co-ops were and um, I guess one thing that you liked and disliked about them?
2: Okay, so my co-op experience is very much related to my journey as a data scientist. My first two jobs were software developer related, but like my third job, which I took my third year, I was a software engineer at a a consultancy firm, Mm -hmm. a startup, and in that project, I had an opportunity to explore data science applied to a sports application.
1: Wow.
0: Where was that? I don't remember that.
2: (laughs) So my job was to sort participants of a sporting contest into different contest groups and to ensure there is like as, as, as much equality in like, among the amount of participants as possible, to rather raise sorting automation. And for that I deployed a Bayesian rating system introduced by Microsoft. So it was my, my first exposure to reading a research paper and and reproducing its results.
1: Hmm. Wow, and and that was in your first year, you said. was in my third year. Third year, okay.
0: He glossed over the software ones because uh, you're <laughs> not you're not too much of a software guy, I think.
1: I
2: realize that's
0: it's not really what I want to do in the future. Yeah. yeah,
1: yeah, and that's kind of how how you how you do it, right? You try something, and you know, you figure out if you if it's for you or not. Yeah, both were
2: full stack as students. Well, even my third was full stack related because my data science algorithm is to be
0: deployed into the back end cool so i have a funny question how much do you care about earning money <laughs>
2: <laughs> considering the fact that i'm doing a phd less nice <laughs> yep
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah like because i because when i was talking to you before um like I know that some of your jobs would make like a lot more than mine were, and that's all I was thinking about. But at the same time, you were like, I mean, I don't even really care. Like, I'm just thinking about like the like research aspects and what you can do, what you can get out of it for the future. That's true. Like, I
2: realized after well that co op that I liked research it was the oh, okay. Career. So like after my my third internship there I started to look for research jobs to work under a professor and one professor said yes so I worked with him full-time for one semester and part-time for another one and a half years we got a paper published in a journal where we use compressed sensing to for dimensionality reduction Mm -hmm. in uh, a, in like an atmospheric model
0: okay what is dimensionality reduction and what dimensions were you reducing?
2: <laughs> dimensionality reduction is basically reducing like, some big data observations into small data observations so I reduced the dimension of uh, of the Lorenz 96 atmospheric models that's uh, the system of differential equations from 440 dimensions to
1: 40 dimensions. That's fantastic. So
0: how do you do that How do you take more dimensions and then do you just like discard them because that would be one way to, to, to reduce dimensions is just to get rid of 300 or do you kind of like find correlations between them and like make new variables or something?
1: Yep, that's a good question. I've, done it, so I've I've made
2: new variables, well, 80, in fact, which I could parameterize in terms of the like the the remaining 40 variables, and what I've done is basically the 40 variables I've reduced the model to. We call those uh, large scale processes, and the remaining 400 are small scale processes. So we realize that we could discard those by seeing how they cancel each other out in different ways. So we take its sum and parameterize that in terms as a function in terms of the large scale variables.
0: Okay. Yeah. Um and so this sounds like a complex um like algorithmically or computationally complex thing. Did you run this like on your laptop, on the company's computers? Is this like on the cloud?
2: This one I ran on my laptop.
0: Really? Okay. So using
2: compressed sensing, which utilizes the fact that we have not too many data points in terms of time.
0: Okay, so it's more so it's big data in the sense that you have a lot of variables, but you don't have that many like observations. So you could you could do it on like a not too good computer. Exactly.
1: Okay. Okay. Excellent. Awesome. Okay, so that was your third co-op.
0: My fourth co-op. Your fourth. Keep track of his co-ops. Man. Your fourth co-op.
1: <laughs> I am having a really hard time. Um, my yeah. mind's all into the you know the dimensionality reduction. So
0: oh, you reduced his wow. uh, fourth co-op That's down to his very third very co-op.
1: I I did. <laughs> there you go. Um, all right. So so your fifth co-op.
2: No I worked at a research institute in the field of computer vision. It was an eight-month co-op, and my goal was to deploy computer vision models onto smartphones for video understanding tasks. And well, I enjoyed it, but I also realized that computer vision wasn't exactly my area of research because well, although it was, it's, it's a really cool field, there isn't much math in it.
0: Yeah. <laughs> At least what so you're saying there's not enough math in it?
2: Well, at least what I worked
0: on. Right. So, yeah, I think the thing is that we're mostly in computer vision. We're mostly past the stages where the math is really developing. I mean, in some senses, it kind of still is. But in many, like we're on to YOLO, like V7 or V8 now. And YOLO V1 was really good. So, yeah, I, I feel like it is kind of just stagnate like the the theoretical aspects are stagnating in a way and it's mostly about just being clever and building bigger and bigger models i guess
1: yeah
2: we're past the parts the part where these models can be trained using Google Colab GPUs or Kaggle GPUs? Yeah, absolutely. Too deep.
0: <laughs> yeah, I feel like if you were born like ten years earlier, you'd be like, "Oh, like I'm gonna develop YOLO and all this mathy stuff." But now it's like, I just, you know, you, you're we're past it.
1: <laughs> yeah. So, do you find that there's um, less of a research opportunity in computer vision as compared to reinforcement learning for for you? I don't think
2: so. I think there is still so much room for computer vision to evolve okay. now we're trying to do video understanding and diffusion models like these, are, these are very new things so i think the potential is much higher than it was 10 years ago
0: yeah did you hear about that um do you know the lenza ai group those people I've not heard of that. Okay, I have not yeah. either. So when the stable diffusion algorithm came out, which for those watching that don't really understand, it's like the the you write a text or you you write a sentence describing what kind of image you want produced and then also video came slightly after in a, a less good-looking form. Um so what Lens AI did was just literally use the stable diffusion algorithm to make like uh, different faces of um, of you. Like, so you would just take a picture of your face or something like that, or maybe input a prompt as well. And then they would just give you in like different kind of patterns and weird kind of uh, art ways. And then they would charge you money for it, which I think is really funny. Um, Cause like, that, that's <laughs> yep. what we were talking about. Like computer vision stuff. It's like, it's so far along now and you can just do these funny things with really sophisticated models. Yeah.
1: <laughs> It's impressive, certainly. Yeah. So, do you have, um, have you ever been curious about, um, the world of natural language processing at all?
2: NLP, to be honest, it's the field that I've done absolutely zero reading about.
1: Okay. (laughs) Yeah.
2: Although I think moths, those, like, birds are really cool. And transformers are something that I intend to look at for my research as well.
0: Yeah, because transformers Ooh. are actually rivaling. I, I I can't keep track of it, but in the last few years, I think on like the standard, what's the data, the ImageNet or whatever. Yeah. Um, the transformer stuff is actually like top five and stuff now. I think as well, right?
1: Wow, I did not know that.
0: No, well, I don't know really how it works. People have shown me some funny linear algebra pictures. I'm like, I have no idea what you're talking about.
2: Yeah, and NLP is the whole idea of linguistics that I get confused with.
1: Yeah.
2: English literature was my worst subject in high school.
1: (laughs) Oh, I know, eh? Tell tell me about it.
0: (laughs) Uh, Speaking of that, um, have you had like any... So like how was moving over to Canada and... um, I mean you spoke English and you obviously speak English but um have you had any difficulties like making friends or like that kind of thing?
2: Not at all. I feel like I fit into society pretty well here.
1: Absolutely, yeah. We think so too, Marty. <laughs> we we know so. We oh, Absolutely. I've I've always known Marty as a very very um friendly person. Mm-hmm. It was super easy to talk to and and yeah. Yeah. So I, I don't assume that you had any any difficulties. Did you face any culture shocks? Because I know that the cultures are fairly different. So it, it, did you face any sort of culture shocks when you first moved here? It's a much more
2: likely environment here, to be honest. In public transport, people are like always conversing with each other.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Well, in, in Japan in public transport, everyone is silent.
1: I have heard that. Yep
2: the phone rings, you can hear it all over the train.
1: Oh wow. <laughs> do you
0: do you think that Canadians are nice people?
1: I think so. Is that your honest answer?
2: <laughs> Mostly. Mostly.
1: Mostly. <laughs> <There's>, <laughs> there you go. I knew there was a little bit of... <laughs> There's some exceptions. Yeah. There's
2: some exceptions. Well, exceptions
1: everywhere. Absolutely. That's true. All right. Well, that's awesome um okay and so you graduated uh, undergrad what made you want to pursue a phd phd that's what you said <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> well when i entered what's in, in first year like my goal was to just go and just become a software engineer and live a happy life yep i guess life had other plans for me
0: you yeah. had other plans for <laughs> life.
2: <laughs> I had other plans for life. During my third COP, I realized I enjoyed the part, like the aspect of reading research papers and implementing what they have done. Mm. And then then, as I've done more research-related COP, I realized my interest for doing research just increased further and further. When I was taking a a course on control theory, my instructor, well, my instructor is my my supervisor now, and I asked him if I could opt out of one of the assignments and instead write a report that combines control theory with machine learning, to which he was very enthusiastic. So, the area where machine learning and control intersect, it's reinforcement learning. So, I a, so uh, I've So i done a few RL experiments for that project, which is a very simple problem. It's a, a card position problem and uh, I try out different reward functions and see which one works best. So I wrote a paper which is on an archive now and yeah, that's how I got to also know the professor and develop an interest in reinforcement learning and that's how i ultimately picked rl as my research focus
0: okay cool so how would you explain control theory machine learning and reinforcement learning to a dummy like myself and myself ourselves (laughs) (laughs)
1: let's take to
2: rl okay how do you do most things in life you do it by failing multiple times and improving a little bit every time. For example, walking when you were an infant. You walked a few steps, you fell down, you walked more steps, you fell down again, and ultimately, soon you learned to walk for long periods of time. It's pretty much what RL is. You interact with an environment, you fail, multiple times, you get a little bit better every time, and then finally you learn to well, you learn to outperform in the environment.
0: So, in that makes sense. Um, guess an advanced level question slash, I'm not sure if it's going to turn into a question or just observation, but um, something right now that people are really annoyed about in machine learning is that while your explanation, of course, is completely true, it can sometimes take algorithms like thousands or ten thousands of iterations just to do something really simple. Like, if we were to, like, e- even if you if you got, like, a ten-year-old to go play Pac-Man, they'd be, like, decent within three to four tries and then really good within, you know, 20 to 30, 100. Um, but what sucks right now is, like, you could throw Pac-Man at an AI and it would, like, be terrible for, like, a million iterations or something, depending on the algorithm. Um, so where do you think AI is headed because of that?
2: I mean, that's true, we're always finding ways to improve the convergence of models to achieving better results like at a faster pace, and but there's always being room for new research and faster models.
0: Yeah, so um is that is that relevant to to like what you're doing? Do you think about these kind of things? Um yeah.
2: <coughs> yeah, uh, my current we just project I developed a new algorithm which does lead to faster convergence than of the other existing algorithms in a few uh, control tasks and yeah, I like to think that I'm also contributing to the improvement in that fundamental problem in reinforcement learning.
0: Right. You said fundamental, and that's kind of what I was going to discuss because I think people like RL because it's considered extremely generic, and I guess some people sort of think about it as a way to like general artificial intelligence because it's kind of just like a very <laughs> simple set of rules. What do you think about that kind of discussion?
2: It's going to sound controversial, but I think RL is actual learning. Mm-hmm. Supervised learning it doesn't feel like learning. It feels more like model fitting.
0: Yeah. Yep. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's like, it, yeah, I mean, a lot of books are titled, I guess, like pattern recognition or something. It kind of is what it is. Like you just, you get an observation and then you're like approximate it. like, okay, it kind of looks like this. So I'll, I guess I'll do that reinforcement learning. Well I guess it's also confusing because RL uses a lot of supervised learning right? It's different like you
2: don't exactly learn the environment and fit to it rather we form an abstraction of the environment for example a Q function and we learn to, well, we learn to figure that part out.
0: What's a Q function? Super super high level? <laughs> level. I know what it is low level and I wouldn't want to say it, but
2: <laughs> the Q function, it takes a state and an action as an input and well, it basically means that if you're at a state S and you apply an action A, then how good is it to apply that action?
0: Perfect.
1: How would you describe a state and an action? A state
2: is pretty much like what you are currently doing in the environment. For example, if you're in a maze, then a state represents your position. If you are trying to balance a pole, then the state represents the the angular displacement of the pole from the, the vertical.
0: So how would you observe a state? Because there's really... It's easy to think about. But then when you actually go to implement these things and you have like a robot, like we as humans probably understand or could observe its state or at least what it's doing a lot better than it could. Like, how does a robot know what state it is in? Like, how does it know what it's doing?
2: Yeah, that's also a very open area of research. We call that partially observable reinforcement learning. It means that we don't have... All of the information about our current state, so we refer to that as observations. Instead, So our approximation of a state. Well, I usually use like recurrent Q network.
0: Is recurrent like a recursive algorithm?
2: If we use an RNN. Okay. Q network, so we take like a time series of states to get a better estimate like a time of series of, of observations to get a better estimate of what the current state is
0: okay um so are rnn still popular and considered state of the art in this because i know in the field of no no still in there in that not as well because i was going to say in nlp transformers kind of took over for that is that true there as well
2: RNNs got taken over by LSTMs, which got taken over by GRUs, which got taken over by Transformers.
0: (laughs) Yeah, okay. Which will get taken over by something
2: else in the future. Definitely.
0: I was planning on creating it tonight, actually. I'm laying out the framework for it.
2: Good luck
1: with that. (laughs) (laughs) That's a very accurate response. (laughs) That's fair. Marty, have you ever felt the imposter syndrome? I'm
2: doing a PhD... Not really. I think I've gone way past my imposter syndrome phase.
1: Okay. Not during your PhD, during your undergrad.
2: That's right. Like during my fourth call when I was working with the professor. And yeah, sort of.
1: How, how did you deal with it?
2: Well, I essentially learned that, well, not the professor chose me because he saw potentially my ability to perform in his lab. And, well, I, I thought I was doing up pretty good work, at the very least. So, yeah, in my case, just rationalizing it helped as well.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, that's fantastic. I know that in new jobs, imposter syndrome is, is a big, um, you know, big thing that that, you know, people and employees kind of go through, so... Yeah, it's good that you don't have that in your PhD right now. It's it's fantastic to know. Yeah.
0: A question I ask other PhD people because I think it's I think people tend to give a funny answer or unknown. What is a postdoc thing like a postdoc post PhD postdoc thing?
2: It Means that you've finished your PhD, but you you still like. You choose to work for another professor, like, for a professor for, like, usually one to two years.
0: And is that paid? Like, is that a job?
2: Yeah, it's like a full-time job. You get paid to do it. Much higher than PhD salary.
0: Okay, okay. In
2: most
1: cases. (laughs) Right. Okay, yeah. So, how did you get connected with the professor that you're working with right now, and What made you think that you want to work with him?
2: Uh, I think I mentioned it just earlier, but I was in his course, Control Theory.
0: I still don't know what Control Theory... What are you controlling? Controlling minds? Control Theory
2: is the process of influencing a dynamical system to achieve a certain goal
0: what's the difference between a dynamical system and a standard system <laughs> or is that not, <laughs> does that not make any sense
2: <laughs> dynamical system is usually a set of, of differential equations or difference equations
0: gotcha okay awesome how would you explain a differential equation? <laughs> I would not.
1: <laughs> <laughs> right answer. There we go. Just He just wouldn't. <laughs> He's
0: just not going to do He's it. He's
1: not even trying.
0: So, Marty, um, does that postdoc thing apply to you? Like, you said you're doing stuff, like, in research after, or at least during your PhD. What are you doing after PhD?
2: After PhD, I hope to work as a research scientist, either in... Pointy in the industry. No, I'm not entirely sure yet either.
0: So what's the dif-
2: be Professor Marty. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Professor Marty.
1: Did you say you want to be Professor Marty?
2: I mean, I could be. Yeah. I'm not sure either.
1: So did you? Um, so I, I believe you had to um, teach a class as a TA during your PhD. Is that right?
2: I taught first-year calculus for engineering
1: students. Well, cool. So what was that like? Did you enjoy it? Were there any annoyances?
2: I mostly enjoyed it. There wasn't much breakdowns, really. Like, I guess the first few times I taught the class, I was a bit nervous at, like, stage fright. Yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah of course. Yeah, yeah of course. I
2: so... I'm used to it.
0: So, I guess, like, another funny question. The thing that always um, scares me the most, you said stage fright, and what would scare me is that, like, to teach a class, I would feel, I know it's not actually true, but I would feel internally, like, I would have to know, like, 100% and, like, so much far beyond in that same sort of concepts to be able to say it back. Like, do you feel like you knew, like, everything off the top of your head?
2: I have made a lot of silly mistakes in the chalkboard, okay. and I've not corrected but, but it's just changed a lot.
1: Yeah, and and that's how you learn, right? Um, did anybody? Did any of the students ask you a question that you weren't super sure of? Like, was it? Was that ever the case? Not really. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. No. Fantastic.
2: <laughs> yeah. Okay. the thing, thing that was new to me was angular integration which I still don't understand and I've never used
1: yeah <laughs> is this is one of those engineering calculus things
2: I think so like yeah that example I to really hand wave a lot that's
0: funny yeah so um did you like appreciate when students would point out your errors or would you like just kind of hope that nobody like says anything and that you just get away with it. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I mean there's article in psychology that states that as uh, like students tend to remember a content better if they associate it with a, an error from a teacher that they corrected. Ah, huh. So like in my case I can take credit for that.
1: So your blackboard yeah. errors were intentional?
2: Very intentional. Yep. <laughs>
0: That's All funny. of
1: that. Very good. <laughs> nice. For for the students.
0: So, were you also in charge of, like, assignments and grading and all that stuff?
2: Yeah, I to mark a lot.
0: Yeah, did you create the assignments? or?
2: No, the assignments were created by the instructors. Okay, okay. Yep. Well, I had to mark quizzes, they were weekly quizzes.
1: Yeah.
0: Did anyone give any funny answers where you would just laugh at them for being so bad at it?
1: <laughs> or, like, any sketches. People do that. <laughs> we'll sketch a lot.
0: Yep. <laughs>
2: that was fun.
0: Any, like, please, please give me a grade. I'm so sad. <laughs> I did that once or twice. What?
2: It's called a section the, uh, the I have no calculator zone.
0: <laughs> nice.
2: The why do not need to remember this zone?
1: Yeah.
0: I just found my, uh, my pink, pink tie calculator today and stuffed it back in the closet. <laughs> good job. Yeah, good memories.
1: Yeah, great memories
0: talk about uh waterloo life in general like the like any clubs or what you did like outside of ours
1: avalon
0: avalon
2: <laughs> avalon that's a weekly thing i played board games almost every week with friends those are fun
0: nights. so how'd you find um like we always saw you with like seven or eight ten ten people in a, in a friend group how'd you meet all those people
2: well, I met them all through orientation.
0: Oh, okay. Yeah.
2: Not, not all, but most of them. And they had friends, and those friends are friends, and somehow we all connected through our mutual interest in board games.
0: Cool. So did you feel like you knew like each and every person, or you were only kind of friends with the people you were friends with? I think
2: both, Makes yeah. sense. I got to know them as well through
0: board games. Cool. So, yeah, any any clubs? Like, we have like a million clubs that I don't think I stepped into once, but is there like an, an RL club or an ML club or something? There's
1: a data science club at data data Waterloo. Science. <laughs> yeah, but I've never hopped into that. Okay. Yeah, I know I would um, sign up for like a million clubs and I never go to any of those. Classic. Very guilty of that. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right, and... So you said you liked board games. What's your what's your top three favorite board games?
2: There's Avalon, there's Captain's Gambit, there's Betrayal.
1: That's three. Yeah, <laughs> that's three. Excellent. <laughs> there you go. I am not familiar with those, but I've been meaning to get into Avalon.
0: If I were to play you in chess right now, would I win? Because I've been playing a lot.
2: <laughs> then you would win. I haven't played chess in... At least
0: a decade. Okay, good. Because I feel like there's this like vibe for like Waterloo Matthew people that were like all head of the chess club or something. I'm like, I never played at all. <laughs> yeah,
1: no, I was not involved in the chess club. I mean, we
0: could train RL agents to
2: play chess for us.
1: There you
0: yeah. go. Yeah, you certainly could. It was only. I mean, when did the when did the DeepMind stuff come out for basically solving that?
2: Like... I think mean, they solved the Go back in 20. 14.
0: so did you um like when i did rl a lot those papers like that that set of papers was really commonly studied um like what, what were the names? alpha go alpha zero l mu zero is that right
2: i think is the current uh, state okay. of the art.
0: okay so did you um did you study like all of that stuff and like implement it
2: Never say that. I have always focused like a bit lower level on the theoretical stuff. Hmm.
0: Cool. Did you on, uh, did you take that. any of those courses? So like, um, the David Silver guy, the head of that, I like followed him a lot. Have you have you seen any of his stuff? Like, how did you how did you learn RL? I guess.
2: Well, I learned RL through uh, a book written by and Robert Ravichandran
0: so not not the standard one from those two canadian okay. folks
2: this because it has a lot of uh, coding examples and i feel like the author is really brilliant at explaining
0: complex oh stuff. okay what what language was the coding stuff in tensorflow oh okay, okay. Uh-huh. like like python and tensorflow yeah python like numpy oh cool i should cool. check that out yeah Thanks for coming on.
1: Yes, Marty, <laughs> thank you for giving us uh, your insights into the world of mathematics and PhD. And, no and yeah, no thank you. Thanks for spending your time with us. And it was awesome no speaking to you.